Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey, coming to you from the Paul Korea studio. Happy Friday. I am feeling good today. I got up and at him this morning pretty early, and I'm looking forward to this weekend. And maybe part of that is because the Ducks had a big come-from-behind win last night in Columbus. 5-3 to three was the final score. Five unanswered goals and a new record for John Gibson in the net. I'll get to all of that in a second, but first I want to dive into something that's on the radar coming up soon for a Ducks game. I've already mentioned it previously, but the Anaheim Ducks are hosting the inaugural Women in Sports Night next Saturday, January 28th. I am so excited for it. We have been planning for months for this and it's already around the corner now. Now, you can sign up for a panel and networking event on our website to hear from some amazing women in sports. Names like Misty May, Linda Cohn, Ali Lozoff, and many more are going to be a part of this night. We're also going to have a speed mentoring session following the panel as well. So like I said, if you're interested, head to the Anaheim Ducks website and make sure to sign up. You'll also get a ticket with that for the game against the Arizona Coyotes. And then some exciting news. I've kind of hinted at it already, but... I am going to be a part of the Duckstream broadcast for the game. I'll be live in between the benches joining Steve, Dan, and Josh on the call. I can't tell you how excited and how honored I am to have this opportunity with the Ducks and to be at ice level. I mean, the game is going to be moving fast. I'm going to keep my head on a swivel. I've said maybe I need a mouth guard, but that really makes no sense because this is an audio broadcast and you really wouldn't be able to hear me. But like I said, really looking forward to that. And if you want to be a part of that night, make sure to come out for the networking session slash panel to hear from those women. And also just come to the game because there's going to be a lot of other activations going on. And as a part of that night, I'm going to be featuring some pretty amazing women in hockey leading up to the event on Light the Lamp in the next week or so. And today's guest is one of those women in hockey. You'll get to hear from her later in the show. But I already mentioned it last night's big win in Columbus on Thursday night. I'm going to take you through all of AD's takeaways now from the game. The Ducks were blanked 3-0 in the first period. Not a good start from the team at all. Three goals on 15 shots for the Blue Jackets and two of them coming early in the game. Anthony Stolarz did get the start in net, but he was taken out of the net after the first period and replaced by John Gibson, who closed it out really strong for the Ducks, stopping all 18 shots on goal that he faced. Now, on the offensive side, the Ducks had 33 shots on goal, which is certainly positive to see in the team, as through the first two games of this road trip, they didn't even have 30 shots on goal. So to put up some more numbers last night was a very good sign on the offensive end. And on that offensive end, in watching the team, I thought they were just clicking well in that second and third period. Their zone entrances were very well executed, showing some speed, and that resulted in some nice passing of which we saw on a couple of occasions on the goals that were scored. 
Also, some good net front presence when they were getting to the net to score those goals and create chances in the Ozone. I was impressed by the Ducks on that end last night. And another end that I was happy with to see from Anaheim, only going to the penalty box once to allow Columbus on the power play only one time in this game. I'm not sure I can think of another game this season when we've only given up one power play. So really happy to see that from the team last night. Also happy to see Isaac Lundestrom making his return back to the ice. He missed 21 games with a broken finger, but he returned last night taking on the top line with Adam Henrique and Troy Terry. Mason McTavish was out last night with a lower body injury, hoping he's okay for the rest of the road trip. No details on that, but Lundestrom certainly made his presence felt and took advantage of the opportunity on that top line. He had two assists for two points, on the night, and I'm sure he was feeling pretty good after that game. I know I mentioned it before in the last episode. I was curious to see what other line changes might have happened heading into the game against Columbus, but really head coach Dallas Aikens kept them pretty similar, only a small shuffle on the bottom two lines. So overall, not too much. Now, the goals that were scored in this game coming from Adam Henrique, who has four goals in the last four games. So he is just on fire right now. And then the other goals from this game, Cam Fowler, Simon Benoit, Trevor Zegris, and Max Jones getting a goal as well, too. Great to see that for Jonesy. And then the last thing I want to get to from this game, congratulations to John Gibson, who has now passed Guy Hebert for second all-time wins in Ducks history, now with 174 total. Really excited for Gibby. I mean, he has been a part of the Anaheim Ducks for a long time, and we're very happy to see himself cementing his name in Ducks history. I think overall this game was just a resilient win by the team. They did not give up. Now in the post game, John Gibson was speaking with our Ali Lozoff on the Bally Sports broadcast, and she asked him what the message was to the team in between the first and second period. And he said that in the locker room, it just was the message of we're still in this game. We're not giving up. And that's exactly what we saw with the rest of the game. So great win for the Ducks. And hopefully they keep it going into their game against Buffalo on Saturday. Let's keep it rolling with the NHL to go coast to coast now to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL. And of course, we have to start with our very own Anaheim Ducks and Columbus Blue Jackets game on Thursday night. Trevor Zegers' go-ahead goal in the third period, around five minutes in. Z now has a point streak of four games, and in that, he's had three goals and three assists, so great to see that for Z and hoping he keeps that up. Steve Carroll has the call of Z's goal from that third period. Carry out with Zegers and Ryan Strom at the moment up front. A shot coming towards Gibson off a stick. Let's make sure they don't get another one in front of the net, but they almost turned it over. Terry went in front. Here's a two-on-one break developing. Strom for Terry. Back to Strom. Wide open the net. Goaltender out. Couldn't get it to Shadkirk. Now a centering feed. And Ryan Strom deflected it wide to the goaltender with him being out of the box. Score! Trevor Zegris takes a bow. High slot. Hooded by Merzlikens. The Ducks have scored four in a row and lead 4-3. 
Now going back to Wednesday night, the Dallas Stars taking on the San Jose Sharks at the SAP Center. Eric Carlson continues to dazzle this season. He had a elite goal, the go-ahead goal to make it four to three, just sniping it from the side and putting it past Jake Ottinger in the top corner of the net. This was the Sharks' first three-goal comeback win in the regular season in over five years. And it was a big one against a Dallas team who has been fighting to stay at the top of the Central Division right now with the Winnipeg Jets not too far behind. Dan Rusinowski has the call of the goal. Sharks start to break out. Gregor flips to Carlson. Carlson to center ice, tosses a soft one. Gregor with speed coming into the right wing corner. That's a great job by Hockenpah to keep Gregor away from the puck. But it's fed back to the point by Sturm to Benino to Carlson. The shot! Score! Eric Carlson puts the Sharks in front. 4-3 to three with 9.19 to play. It's the third point of the night for EK65. Then jumping ahead to Thursday, the Edmonton Oilers and Tampa Bay Lightning facing off a lot of crafty goals scored in this game, and they were coming from left and right in the second period. It was a very entertaining game overall. Edmonton took the lead early after the first period, 2-0. And then going into the second period, Zach Hyman had the first goal for him of the game. He ended up having two on the night, and he extended Edmonton's lead 3-1. to the second goal from him coming as the empty netter at the end to help solidify the win. Now, Tampa did stay in the game for the majority of it, bouncing back each time from a two-goal deficit, but it obviously was not enough, Edmonton getting the win. Ched Radio 6.30 a.m. has the call of Hyman's first goal. He can't get it out. It goes off of Fogel. He's got it right corner. Looks in front of the net. The pass put just wide by Ryan. He scores! Zach Hyman found the loose puck. The NHL All-Star rosters were finalized on Thursday night as the fan vote was announced in the evening. So taking a look at that in the Central Division, Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, and Connor Hallibuck were added. In the Atlantic, Austin Matthews, David Pasternak, and Andre Vasilevsky also joined the All-Star Weekend. And then in the Metropolitan, Artemi Panarin, Adam Fox, and Ilya Sorokin will be joining the team in Florida. And then lastly, in the Pacific Division, Leon Dreisaitl, Bo Horvat, and Stuart Skinner are the final names in. Those are the 12 guys that will be joining all-Star Weekend, the Ducks only having Troy Terry. He is the lone Duck heading to the weekend. Now, 15 players as a part of this weekend will be taking part in their very first All-Star Weekend. And you can find the full rosters on the NHL's website or on their Twitter as well to get all of the names from each of the teams. Now, a couple more notes on All-Star Weekend. Looking at the Metropolitan, Alex Ovechkin is playing in his Eighth NHL All-Star Game. That is the most among active NHL players. And then right behind him, Johnny Gaudreau is making his seventh All-Star Game appearance. And then the last note on All-Star Weekend for right now. In the Atlantic, Matthew and Brady Kachuk will be taking part for the first time on the very same team. Pretty cool for those two brothers. Now, I'm excited to welcome on Shayna Goldman today in this next segment. Shayna provides a unique look at the NHL through data analysis and video as a part of her coverage at The Athletic. 
You can hear more about it now during my conversation with her next. The Athletics' Shayna Goldman joins Light the Lamp now for the first time. Shayna, great to have you on DuckStream. How has your week been? Uh, thanks for having me. It's been good. You know, there's some exciting hockey on. I'm blending it with some tennis, so it's a little bit chaotic, but, you know, that's the fun of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I saw you were tweeting a little bit of tennis. Where does that interest come from? I just uh, always watched it. You know, I, I watched it growing up and Serena Williams and Venus Williams are crushing it. So it's hard not to get into it. And, you know, I followed Roger Federer. And then from there, it's just it's it's a sport that I can watch. There's no work associated. It's for <laughs> me. I don't care about the different time zones. It's just fun for me. And then on the other side, where did your love for hockey begin too? Uh, my parents both watched, so I grew up on Long Island and I grew up with an Islander fan for a dad and a Ranger fan for a mom. So I got to see, you know, (laughs) both sides of it, but, uh, we all picked our sides and I started watching from there. Okay. That's awesome. And then I know also too, you have a master of science in sports business from NYU, which is very impressive. And I thought that was really cool to highlight as well too. Um, but was sports always the plan for you? No, uh, I was planning on being an accountant. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. um, I thought I wanted to go into journalism. I quickly changed my mind, went for business, went for accounting, and then for grad school, applied for both accounting and sports business by chance, and they worked out. And then all of this happened, which I didn't expect. Now, how long have you been at The Athletic? Um, Full-time, I've been there for a year, but I was writing part-time for, I think, three or four seasons before that. Well, let's get into a little bit on some of your work recently. And I know every Friday you have a fantasy waiver wire article that comes out. Um, So what exactly are we looking at in today's? So every week we look at the four game streamers so you can like maximize your ads, you know, teams that are playing between Monday and Sunday four times. And, uh, you know, we find picks that that look good. It might be based on the matchups upcoming. So for Romanoff, it's, you know, looking at, how many shots he might be blocking because he's playing teams that tend to shoot the puck really frequently or, you know, a player that's in a good position to succeed like Anton Lindell, he's playing with Barkov. So even though the Panthers are struggling, you know, we're seeing if you're on the top line with Barkov, you're probably going to be scoring. So it's just trying to look a little bit below the surface to find, you know, players who are trending up, potentially trending up, or maybe they're doing the right things below the surface, but don't have the results like Jack Quinn and Buffalo, you know, we see strong five on five numbers. So generally the scoring follows. And also with your writing, I mean, obviously a lot of data analysis in that, but where did that interest come from for you? I wanted to prove that Anton Strawman was good at hockey. It, it, everybody has their story. It might be that Patrice Bergeron was the greatest player around and you wanted proof. And, you know, once this information was out there and becoming more public with, you know, sites like War on Ice, I started looking at Strawman to prove after a tough start, he was legitimately good. And from there, mm. I was so intrigued by it that after games, I kept looking up numbers and, you know, you're watching different teams around the league and you're curious about things. So it can help confirm what you see. It can help you see something that you didn't initially see while watching the game. You know, like we're all so biased. So we might see someone with this highlight reel play and think they are the greatest player in the world. And then you look below the surface and go, actually, they're pretty terrible, but they have these (laughs) great moments that Mm -hmm. keep popping off that you think differently of them. Or maybe you see a player blocking a ton of shots and you think they're really good defensively. And then you realize it's reactive. They're missing the play. They're not proactive. They're not really doing what you want them to be doing in today's game. So it's something that might spark some questions for you. It's something that might answer a couple questions for you. 
And it certainly mixes your old desire to be an accountant with your <laughs> new work too. I would say you must be very good at math in general. <laughs> yeah, I, I love math. And that's the thing too. I know so many people shudder when they hear math mixed with hockey, but you know, it's not, they're smarter people to handle that, to handle the calculations, to handle the spreadsheets and all of the complex things for us. It's something that we would hear day to day, like a player you're going to hear, they want to put shots on net. They want to put pucks on net. That's, mm -hmm. that's coursey. That's shot attempts. So then you could look at their shot attempts and start breaking it down. How many missed, how many went on goal. And a lot of the legwork's done for us. So we don't have to do the math. And then for some of us nerds, we like to take the math and try to parse it out and make it more complicated. Now, who's another player that you've been watching this season and how his data has really changed throughout the course of the season so far? So an interesting one for me is Tate Thompson. He's like the most exciting player in the league. But the numbers, you know, last year when we were seeing him start scoring more, the question was, is this sustainable? So you could look below the surface and go, well, he's among the best in Buffalo at generating shot attempts. He's among the best in Buffalo at um, creating scoring chances. And then we start seeing his finishing ability. So for this season, you know, I looked at the best finishing talents and the best finishers who's scoring the most goals above expected in the year 2022. And Tage Thompson, someone who, you know, led the way for wrist shots and snapshots. And when you see a big gap, you might question, is this right? Is this sustainable? So it's nice then to take the numbers and pair it with the video. What makes his shots more dangerous? Why is he, you know, so ahead of the curve here? And you know, is there something we're not seeing from the data that the video helps us pair it to? So he was a really interesting one for me because we're starting to see this, that last year wasn't just an outlier, but this is who he is. And he's going to be at the all-star game this year. So those rosters are finally set. Uh, any names that are of interest to you that you're excited to see? I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of new guys at this, this being their first all-star weekend. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to see someone like Tage Thompson in the hardest shot competition. I, you know, that's definitely fun. And players like David Poshnak with all like the flair that they can bring to it on and off the ice. Um, it's nice to see, you know, some goalies get their moment. We're seeing, you know, UC Soros and um, Ilya Sorokin, Igor Shesterkin. So I think that's super exciting, too, um, especially when goaltending doesn't matter as much. So I think goalies get to have a little bit more fun in this and we get to see them throw their best saves out there. Adam Fox and Artemi Panera and two other names on the Rangers that will be heading there as well. Uh, were you surprised that they were additions into this? I thought Adam Fox actually should have been the original choice. I was surprised mm -hmm. it was Brock Nelson and Sorokin. I'm sorry, Brock Nelson and Shesterkin and not Adam Fox and Sorokin originally. So it's nice that the fan vote kind of like balanced the tides a bit. But he, in my opinion, is the best all-around defenseman this year. He obviously was the year he won the Norris, and he's showing that new wave of defense that him and Cal McCarr thrive at. And then, you know, last year, he was still a very good top 10 defender. And so far this season, he's right there. I think, you know, front runner for the Norris, one of the best five-on-five -five players, great on the penalty kill, great in all, all three zones, really poised. So it's nice to see him get his moment, too. So is he your current pick for the Norris right now, then? Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, Preseason pick was Miro Heiskanen. Okay. He's still up there, but right now I think Adam Fox is uh, stealing the show. But it's fun to see, you know, Eric Carlson and Darlene mm -hmm. and Morrissey and Hamilton get in the mix. We're seeing like bounce back years from so many defensemen. Now, another thing that you have worked on recently in on the athletic was player cards for each team throughout the NHL. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to what goes into each of them, because I was going through the Anaheim Ducks and it's a very specific breakdown of each of the more relevant players, too. 
Yeah, so the player cards evolved a bit from last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, with Dom Lucian's model, which is game score value added. And it's helpful to use because we can look at the actual numbers based on the season alone or uh, the projected numbers. That's based on three years worth of data. It's weighed by uh, recency. It's adjusted for age. So generally speaking, if a player is outperforming their results by a lot, say Jack Hughes last year, what we knew before that of him wasn't that great, you know, below the surface. It was mm-hmm. it was OK. And the second year was better. But it kind of held back what his projection could be because it keeps you grounded, you know, by using what you have from the past couple of years before that. But it's always nice to compare the actual results because a player outperforming it, you can, you have something now to explore. Like, is it, what are they doing that's different? Is it sustainable? Mm-hmm. Is this the player that they really are? And for a younger player, you know, we have less to work with. So it's fun to see those breakout moments. So, you know, for players on the Ducks, that was the case for Troy Terry last year. Mm-hmm. His projection was lower than his actual performance, but now we see that's, you know, hyping up his actual performance even more because there's more to build off of and a better foundation, you know, that he set for himself last year. Now, another recent article that came out as well was your goalie mask rankings that you were a part of. John Gibson getting that number two spot. Um, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on his goalie mask, even though it has changed now and how he got that ranking. So I actually didn't know it was a reference to Top Gun. I've never seen Top Gun, and I found that out after I already ranked it. But <laughs> I, it's just it was so sleek, and it's mm-hmm. so nice, you know, the black and orange could get Halloweeny pretty easily. Yes. But for this, the matte finish was really nice. And the pops of color, which ties in well, no matter the jersey the Ducks were wearing, it just felt sleek. Everything about it, like it's just done right. Because if you go too simple, it can be boring mm-hmm. or it can look unfinished. You know, like Connor Hellenbuck, someone who his his mask at the very top of his head feels so unfinished versus the sides that look so nice. But it was like the perfect balance of like simplicity and pops of color. So I, I love that mask. That was, you know, I, I know I had that one top five with like Karel Vamelka, who also went a bit simpler with like oversized designs, but worked in the purple. I love how we're getting the fashion side into hockey recently. I know one of your uh, co-parts of the Too Many Men podcast, Sarah, always does a style ranking. So I love that now you've done your own goalie mask ranking, too. <laughs> yeah, I love that we're talking about fashion. I love that because it's it's an expression of a player's personality. And it's mm-hmm. nice to see some teams are loosening the dress code, you know, for pregame. But it's nice that even within the dress code, we're seeing players take risks a little bit more and, mm-hmm. you know, Years past, we would see players like Eric Carlson, you know, with really sharp suits and Henrik Lundqvist, obviously. But now we're just seeing a more fun spin on it. So it's really great that Sarah highlights that, you know, every couple of weeks with her style rankings, because now we're learning more. We're noticing David Poshnot's nail polish. We're noticing the perfect tailoring that Keandre Miller brings with his suits and the attention to detail he has. And then the risks that Patrick Laine takes. Like, I think it should encourage more players to show their personality a bit more. And, you know, we'll learn a bit more about them too with goalie equipment. It's a great way to do it. Other skaters don't have that chance to show it. So if you can learn a bit about a goalie from their mask and from their pregame outfit, you know, you connect with them a little bit more. I'm hoping we see some of that too at all-star weekend. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they're (laughs) the most exciting jerseys I think we've had in a while. I want to see starter jackets in those color schemes. Like I want to see players rocking like the (laughs) neon nineties vibes. (laughs) It's very fitting for South Florida. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. They could have gone bland, which would have been like a very all-star thing to do. We see like the most boring jerseys the last couple of years, but you have to lean into it and try to have some fun. 
Now, speaking of the Too Many Men podcast, um, you know, you've been a part of it since the beginning. And um, I'm curious as to how you, Allison and Sarah, had the idea to start this podcast and where the name came from, because I think it is one of the best hockey podcast names that you guys could have came up with. <laughs> Thank you. That's all credit to Sarah. Um, you know what? I think it just started. We were seeing men put out some odd tweets and stories and, you know, we would like send them to each other and be like, we would be fired if we did this, if mm -hmm. we said this, if we made this mistake and, you know, we're getting mansplained constantly things and the critiques like are always rolling in. And, you know, we were joking like, oh, there's just too many men out there. And it just kind of clicked and Sarah was like, that's a great podcast name. Mm. And we, we didn't, you know, do anything with it. And then a couple weeks later, we're like, you know, it could be a really fun opportunity. That could be really fun because it's different. We can have our own takes. We don't pull any punches. We have strong opinions and mm -hmm. we can just talk about them, whether we agree on things, disagree on things and try to cover things a little bit differently. You know, we all have different perspectives on it. We all look at the game a little bit differently and, you know, hockey should have different voices. It should be a little bit more inclusive. And that's why even this is so big, because anytime a woman has a take on hockey, it's it's different from what the men might think. You know, we, we come from you know, different backgrounds. We have different thoughts and opinions. And hockey is the one sport that needs that diversity a bit more. It needs different ideas and new blood in it. So if we can start changing it and disrupting it a little bit, it's a good thing. You know, that's certainly one of the things that I've always thought about the podcast, like how cool it is to have three women in hockey being able to get together and set an example for other people to feel that they can also do that as well, too. Yeah, of course. And like, you know, our takes might not be perfect and we might not be spot on with anything, but are the men's? Or, I mean, I I think we could look around and go, mm -hmm. that's, that's a tough one right there. You know, anyone can have a good take. Anyone can have a bad take. It's just, you know, not always, we don't always see anyone besides men who have been in this business for a very long time, getting the platforms to really run with them. Mm -hmm. So it's anytime we can change that a little bit and bring in different ideas and thoughts. It's a good thing because Hockey does need to grow. It needs to get better. It needs to get more innovative. It needs to be more inclusive. So anyone that can contribute to that, I think, is doing the right thing. And it's also really cool, too, now that the three of you are kind of all over the country. I mean, it started that way, too. But now Allison out in Seattle. I mean, how do you guys coordinate all, all, all the shows, too? I mean, the schedules, I'm sure, are crazy. <laughs> yeah, it helps, actually, that Allison's out west because she is the earliest riser of us. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so now her, you know, 8 o'clock is our 11 o'clock, and that's more like on par with Sarah and I. And, you know, for the mornings, too, there'd be nights, you know, before Allison moved out west that she'd be getting up at five or six in the morning and I'm still up writing. So mm. now it's like a little bit more even because she has that three hour delay. And I think it's helping us ensure we talk about the West Coast a little bit more because we all enjoy watching the Western teams, but there is an East Coast bias. We know it in the league. It's just like, mm -hmm. you know, last week we talked about the dreaded West Coast road trip. It really isn't that as much anymore. There's a dreaded East Coast road trip, but no one wants to say it that Western teams might come here and have a tough time adjusting to the time delay and the teams you might face. But we only talk about, you know, the rough path for the East Coast teams. We can only think about, you know, the East Coast teams and it'll happen to the Maple Leafs. And then everybody's talking about it because if it happens to them, it can happen to anyone. <laughs> Yeah, certainly having two expansion teams in Seattle and Vegas out here has really brought hockey even more out west, I think, too. I mean, this is only my first season in Anaheim, and just to see 
all the different fans and how much the organization here from the Mighty Ducks to now the, the Anaheim Ducks um, has evolved and the fandom is, has been pretty cool for me to see as well, too. Yeah, it's really great to see it's in different markets. It's, you know, the Southern teams, some of them thriving. You see the environment in like Nashville when they make the playoffs and everything that Vegas has done, where they've leaned into that Vegas vibe and where they've departed from it, but they get to have their own spin on it. There aren't those expectations of the original six team where you can't have fun with it. You must keep it to the classics. And I think that's really great with like the West Coast teams. Like there's there's more color, there's brightness from the jerseys. We're seeing like more variety in that way. And then the game presentation and then the style of play differs a little bit too. So the, and we're seeing different, you know, ideas for expansion. We're so used to hearing expansion teams be terrible off the bat because these are the leagues that the, the rules that the league set forth and, you know, Vegas took advantage of it and how, how Seattle's doing it differently too. Like it's just adding something different into the mix. Mm -hmm. Now, will you be going to all-star weekend? I will not. Uh, Sarah and Allison will be popping up there. I'm taking a couple days off, so I'm like ready to go for the deadline and <laughs> playoffs this year. That's understandable. Well, Shayna, great to have you on Duck Stream and right here on Light the Lamp and uh, hope to have you back again soon. Thanks for having me. And it's time, as always, for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. The Ducks are back at it on the ice on Saturday. That is tomorrow as they continue their road trip with game four of six in early one, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time in Buffalo against the Sabres, the first meeting with Buffalo this season. And the Sabres have some weapons to look out for, particularly Tage Thompson, who is an NHL All-Star, will be heading to All-Star week Weekend. He has emerged this season already with 60 points so far, 32 goals on that as well. So going to look to see if they can shut down Thompson on the offensive end tomorrow on Saturday. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. As always, I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more Hockey Talk on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.